Hello and welcome to Being Well, I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Most people go through periods in life where they feel like they just don't know what they're doing. Or maybe they know what they're doing, but they don't find it so satisfying anymore. Life has become dull and gray. They're no longer fulfilled by their work or their personal lives. These periods can be really hard to talk about because we've created a culture where everyone is doing fine all the time. And what we present on social media or at work and sometimes even to our close friends and family is a kind of carefully curated highlight reel of our happiest self that often has little in common with the wholeness of our experience. I've gone through my own struggles with fulfillment. And I'm joined today, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen, my dad, a guy who is really authentically fulfilled pretty much all of the time. So today, we're going to be talking about fulfillment. How can we relate to the reality of those low moments, particularly in the context of that broader culture that generally has a good vibes only kind of mentality? Is it possible to be truly pretty much fulfilled most of the time? What gets in the way of that? And how can we relate to those obnoxiously super fulfilled people like Rick without falling prey to a lot of self-criticism? So, Dad, how are you doing today? Well, I feel like I've got a bullseye on my back now. (laughs) I'm in big trouble. (laughs) And I want to be really clear that I think we'll talk more what we mean by these words, blah, blah. But I think a person can feel like as a whole— they're they're very happy with their life and they they're very glad about their life as it is and and they they feel it has meaning it has purpose they're contributing and so forth in the background while sometimes in the foreground mm-hmm. things happen you know the bus runs through the gutter that's full of muddy water and splashes their favorite pair of shoes. And it's like, whoa, what'd you do to my favorite shoes here? You know, little moments like that can be kind of like blips. I I sort of think of it as a little bit like Mm -hmm. fulfillment in a way is like climate. And what's the overall climate? Hmm. The moment to moment passing of experiences is like the weather. Yeah. I think it's possible to shift your inner climate over time, realistically, and we'll talk about how to do that, in ways that really do feel like there's a fundamental atmosphere, a fundamental climate of well-being and meaningfulness. You you feel satisfied. You feel fed and fulfilled Mm -hmm. in your Mm -hmm. life as it is. Um, You can develop that over time as the climate so that when the storms come through, Mm. they're kind of affected by the nature of the climate, and they don't tend to last so long. And meanwhile, the climate as a whole feels really good for you. Yeah. So spoiler alert, I basically agree with you. And we're going to get into all of the reasons why and all of the considerations and caveats more during the episode. But to just start with some additional context here, I I recently posted a video to my YouTube channel, which you can find through a link in the description of today's episode if you'd like to check it out, that was focused on authenticity and fulfillment. I got a really great, um, honestly, like very heartwarming response to the episode. It was really authentically very touching. And particularly, I was focusing on how it can be very difficult to be authentic about our struggles with fulfillment, given the very curated image that people often present publicly, particularly on social media, things like that, things that, you know, my father very wisely tends to avoid. Uh, This might be particularly so in the self-help space, where success as a creator is often really tied to projecting this, like, very fully realized image, right? Yeah. And during the video, I said something to the extent of, like, for the vast majority of people, they're going to be periods where they're not perfectly fulfilled. And I think that we're kind of kidding ourselves if we think that we get to this state of perfect fulfillment all the time. And we talked about it a bit, and you kind of pushed back on that. And I pushed back on the pushback, and we kind of went back and forth, and we realized at some point, hey, we should probably just be recording this, and this could be a (laughs) podcast episode. So here we are today. Um, So, Dad, what do you kind of think about that? Is there anything else you would like to offer as sort of a framing for what we're talking about today, in addition to what you just said? Well, first of all, number one, I thought your personal courage factor, HUSPA factor, Hmm. I could use some vulgar expressions that have to do with male genitals, and I won't (laughs) factor... (laughs) <laughs> in doing that video, were spectacular, honorable, 
massive. Just great. Oh, thanks, Dad. Really great. People, re- everybody had to really look at that video. Second, I know exactly what you're talking about. I kind of came up through the whole human potential mm. movement. And back then in the 60s and 70s, I routinely would have an experience that I was at some kind of party and some workshop leader, personal growth trainer, something or other with some charisma was suddenly being my new best friend. And I began to realize that it was all an act. They were trying to enroll me in their latest, greatest workshop. The more modern version of that, whether it's on Instagram or in Facebook or in other forms of media, I think of a lot as performative authenticity. Being genuine. Mm. It's my brand, man. Well, wait a minute here. If authenticity is your brand, we've got a problem here. Mm. Now, I'm not saying that's true about everybody. I've known a number of people, I won't name any names, who are famous they are very you know, well-known, and a lot of them are just as cool, just as real, just as realized offstage as they are on stage. Totally, yeah. On the other hand, as you and I have both have had encounters with people who are well-regarded and well-respected when they're, in effect, doing their shtick, when they're in their, their thing, they're doing their thing, they're giving their talk, they're giving their presentation. But when you get them off stage, when the microphone's off, or sadly, when they're having an opportunity to get up close and personal sometimes with their students, particularly female students, they behave in really improper, even horrible kinds of ways. And so there's a disconnect yeah. between the public face of, hey, I really have it together, and who the person really is. So I, I know the issue. I really know the issue. And, mm. and there's a certain amount of pressure because if if what you're kind of selling is your state of being in an ongoing way, there's a lot of pressure on you to yeah. make sure that it looks really good most of the time. I think you and I have managed to mm-hmm. honestly and accurately evade most of those pressures, step outside of them. Different forms of advantage, if not privilege, have enabled us to do some of that, to acknowledge some of that as well. But it's a real it's a real thing. And beyond the immediate issue of keeping it real and the pressures against keeping it real, you really raised a question for us in your video about what is actually realistically possible for people in this human life yeah. in terms of the upper reaches of mental health, the upper reaches of human potential, the upper reaches of well-being, what's actually possible? And second, what's our relationship to what's possible, right? Mm. Can we recognize what's actually possible while knowing as well that we're just not that motivated for it? Can we recognize what's possible while being good to ourselves and not being critical because we're just not going to go for it? Mm. Or can we recognize what's possible and feel sincerely motivated and inspired to move a little bit every day toward the top of the mountain. Great setup. Before we get too far, I want to give people a couple of quick reminders, and then I'm going to basically ask you exactly that question in a slightly different way. Uh, First, if you like the podcast, you'll probably love Rick's Just One Thing newsletter. It's a free offering. Every week he sends out a simple practice for greater well-being. It has a whole bunch of subscribers, and you can sign up to it through a link that I've included in the description of the podcast today. And then second, you can follow us on social media, uh, all the normal platforms, again, for better or worse, inside of the context of this conversation, perhaps. But the podcast, Rick and I all have our own Instagram profiles and Facebook profiles, which I've also linked in the description of this episode. So, okay, to return to that thing that you were saying a second ago about what is truly achievable, you used a line that I found really fascinating that I actually hadn't heard before when we were having our kind of off-air conversation about fulfillment. And the line was the tyranny of low expectations. And I was wondering if you could kind of explain what that phrase means and why it's sort of important inside of this context. So I'm aware of it, and, and there are people who are much more knowledgeable, honestly, in a, in a context related to racial justice and a pushback against low expectations for African-American students in school. And it is a sorry 
piece of our history that many African-American kids in decades past were assessed or categorized, labeled in various ways that shunted them away from various opportunities. And it was completely unfair. So there's been this kind of pushback against it. And it may actually have been a phrase, perhaps, championed by Barack Obama, this notion of the tyranny of low expectations. Mm -hmm. And with regard to what's possible then, now I'm stepping out of that racially framed context here into kind of people in general. What do you think is really possible in your life? And, you know, the old line, if you aim for a tree, you'll probably hit a rock. But if you aim for the stars, you might actually hit that tree. Yeah. And there's something about the vision of what's possible. I mean, I grew up in an environment, basically lower middle class background, extremely well-intended, loving, decent parents. But there was a certain vision of what was actually possible in terms of schooling and career and ways of experiencing the world and knowing things that just didn't exist in their background growing up during the Depression in a fair amount of real poverty in both of my parents' background. And they just didn't know what was possible. And when you don't know what's possible, it doesn't exist for you. It's foreclosed. That opportunity is Mm. foreclosed. And it limits you. It kind of creates that cage to some extent. It's one of the bars in our cage. We just didn't know it was even possible. We didn't know it was possible to talk that way or to want that or to have that kind of career or work or experiences. We didn't even know it was possible to feel that good in genuine real ways in the background of your consciousness as the climate inside you. We didn't even know that was possible. And when you know it's possible, then all kinds of doors open up. To give a very lived example of what you're talking about here that we've used on the podcast in the past, Elizabeth, my girlfriend, has commonly referred to a conversation that you had with her where you really laid out that, no, being a psychologist is a real job that people do. And in addition to that, it's actually achievable for you too. She was very concerned, um, understandably, Mm -hmm. about the mechanisms of grad school, the nature of being in grad school, how much money the whole thing would cost, the whole thing. And you really opened her up to this new possibility that has now had an enormous cascade of influence on her life as a whole. She's currently in her last year of graduate school and working toward becoming, uh, getting Mm -hmm. an MFT and becoming a therapist. And without that conversation or conversations like that, at the very least, she probably wouldn't be on the path that she is right now. So it's just a very lived example of that sense of capacity, sense of what could be possible, really changing somebody's outcomes in a very meaningful way. Yeah. And let's be real, there are pitfalls on both sides. Yes, with so many things. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. So. Yep. And and that was what we talked about during that phone call where we kind of hashed this out and we're yeah. then sort of like, hey, let's turn the recorder on because I was kind of pushing back on it from the other side. Yeah. And a little bit of clarity here. What do we mean fulfillment? As you know, uh, there are these kind of classic two notions in psychology. I'll label them as hedonic well-being and eudaimonic well-being, eudaimonia. And hedonic well-being is built up through lots of experiences of kind of everyday pleasures in life, everyday moments of accomplishment, connection with another person, relaxation and ease. That's hedonic well-being. Then you have eudaimonic well-being, which is independent to some extent of hedonic well-being in that a person can have a strong sense of meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment in what they're doing, even while feeling really tired, it's late at night, and you're walking your six-month-old son up and down the hallway at three in the morning, when you'd really rather be sleeping in bed. And yet having a son and raising a family and being part of that undertaking is deeply, deeply meaningful to you. So both of those together form fulfillment. I'm gonna mostly emphasize what could be called eudaimonic well-being, which to some extent can have a background feeling in it that's based on the accumulated residues of many moments of hedonic well-being. In other words, many, many moments Mm. of Mm -hmm. feeling like a basic okayness in yourself or a sense of gratitude or a sense of 
a warm-heartedness toward other people, a sense of others being caring toward you, the internalized residues of those experiences can gradually build up inside to be part of related feelings that your life has purpose to it, you're glad to be alive, you definitely want to wake up the next morning, <laughs> you, know, you feel like you're contributing, you feel like your talents are being used, you feel like you're expressing your full capacities, uh, all of which tend to go into eudaimonic well-being. Okay, so now pitfalls? Yeah, all right. great. Uh, okay, so quickly, one pitfall on one side for sure is people who stress out trying to be happier. And there are mm. artificially constructed laboratory experiments that got a lot of news media in which basically you tell people, try to be happier, which then makes them unhappier, kind of understandably. Okay, so be careful about that, especially the pitfall of comparing yourself to other people. That's a major driver of this particular pitfall of, let's say, over-striving based on some kind of unrealistic expectation that life should not have any thunderstorms and it should all be rainbows, even though rainbows often follow thunderstorms. Okay. The other pitfall, though, <laughs> is not having a vision of what's possible, not supporting yourself in going after it, or at least not taking the next step and not making efforts toward the kind of internal sense of peacefulness and contentment and lovingness and a larger sense of feeling connected with everything and fulfilled and awestruck with gratitude for this extraordinary opportunity of this particular human life that you are occupying right now, right? When we don't go for that, that's a, another pitfall. And frankly, I think that for every one person who's overly tense and driven and obnoxious about their own fulfillment, there are a hundred people who honestly, with five minutes of effort every day, five minutes of deliberate action, mainly inside themselves, every day would gradually become more and more fulfilled in this life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's a complicated thing. And the reason that I kind of pause for a second is just because my personal view on this is that there absolutely are people who achieve not perfect, you know, eudaimonic fulfillment, but they get pretty darn close. I mean, I, we've we've talked to people, spiritual yeah. teachers of different kinds, just people who seem so into their work and are just clearly love what they're doing and feel so attached to it and driven by it and fulfilled by it in a really deep way. Like, I, I think that absolutely the 99th percentile of eudaimonic fulfillment is totally achievable for some people. Mm. And that for me is kind of the whole game here, that one of the reasons that I personally started to kind of push back on the the good vibes only, toxic positivity, however you mm. want to refer to it, yeah. a sort of presentational aspect of this is for two reasons. The first one is being realistic about hardship. Um, I think that it's good for people to have a fundamental orientation inside of their mind where there are days that are going to suck. Yeah. And they could suck for a lot of different reasons. Maybe they suck for hedonic reasons. Sure, like you were describing, the bus comes along, it splashes the water on your feet. Okay, that's not so fun. But maybe they suck for eudaimonic reasons. Maybe you have the day where you're working happily at your job and you really are super fulfilled and everything really is going wonderfully and you get laid off. Yeah. You know? Wow, even if you've got a pretty high level of practice, your eudaimonic well-being might be kind of hit in that moment. And then we can sort of talk about, all right, what do you do about that? And how can we raise the floor on that experience, as you were saying, like the climate rather than the weather? Yeah. But also in my personal experience, having a real acceptance of a degree of suffering yeah. has enabled me and empowered me to be like so much happier fundamentally Isn't that interesting? in my life. And so, yeah, which I think is really telling, right? Yeah. Where it's, it's when I got to a place where I was like, you know what? Some things are just going to suck. That all of a sudden I was kind of 
freed. And that is a little bit what I was kind of speaking to yeah. in the inside of the video and also just like in this conversation fulfillment around fulfillment broadly. The second part, that's kind of part one, which is being realistic about hardships yeah. of different kinds. The second part for me is appreciating individual difference. Oh, yeah. We could really go down the rabbit hole with this one. It gets very complicated very quickly. But people exist on spectrums of different kinds in terms of their tendencies in different directions. My personal view, which I believe is pretty well validated by the research, but hey, there's stuff we know and stuff we don't know, is that there is just a big genetic nature-based component to happiness, well-being, fulfillment, and so on that... You know, you could do some stuff about, but there's a limitation there. And the more that I've gotten, weirdly, the more that I've gotten into kind of like learning about positive psychology, the more appreciation I have gained for the impact of nature yeah. um, as opposed to nurture and and the huge role that the just hand that we are dealt at the beginning of our lives has, er, the, the, huge, the huge part it plays and our ability to achieve at different levels, acquire certain outcomes, and so on. And that's, again, that's balanced against that tyranny of low expectations. If I'm somebody who looks earnestly at Forrest and goes, you know what, Forrest, you're just kind of a melancholic guy, so you should just kind of get used to being sad all the time. Wow, that's not a good look. That is a no. bad look, you know? <laughs> so, so you don't want to go there. And I think that the balance between those two things it is so rich and is just really what we're talking about today. I'm very happy that we're doing this because it's so fundamental. And yeah, wow, <laughs> you know, in a funny kind of way, we're crystallizing a hundred years of the history of clinical psychology as it swung from yeah. Freud's initially quite tragic view. If you locate him also in his time and his place in Europe and his Breakthrough book was actually written yeah. in 1899, but he wanted it published in 1900 at the beginning of the new century, you know, on the interpretation of dreams where he developed many of his ideas. He really came out with them and, and all the rest of that. And then we have the counter to the kind of dark view of psychoanalysis about the primitive nasty id inside us all that needed a lot of superego regulation. Whoop, next thing we know, we're in the yeah. land of humanistic psychology that, hey, it's all possible, peak experiences, self-actualization, go for it. And then whoop, we start, you know, a couple other swings back and forth the other way. Then we have the kind of more mindfulness movement saying, what you really need to do is just accept your unhappiness. You need to be with those negative feelings. Mm. You need to relax about <laughs> them. You need to let them be and open yeah. to them. And, and that's what's really, really fundamental here. And, and then you start having positive psychology, mm. you know, as some kind of corrective to that. So boom, 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 boom. It's deep, 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 deep stuff. So first of all, I have absolutely found, just like you, that weirdly... I feel more and more at peace, content, at ease, unreactive, as I've deepened in my capacity mm. to practice what Tara Brock calls accepting presence. We're present mm. and we're accepting what we feel. We may not like it. We may not wish for it for others. We're not approving of it. We may take steps to deal with it. But in this moment, we're present with it in a very receptive, non-fighting, non-resisting kind of way. It's also true, though, that people can get trapped in the tyranny of just being with what they're feeling without doing skillful things yeah. to gradually, totally. gradually address the causes and conditions of their inner climate. Mm. And some of those causes and conditions could be completely physical in the serotonin metabolism in your brain, in how much thyroid you have, whether you're subclinically anemic, are you grappling with a chronic low-grade inflammatory condition in your body that cascades into depressed mood? Are you getting enough of certain kinds of foods? we naturally need. Mm -hmm. You know, could that be remedied in some ways uh, through various interventions that at one end of that spectrum include medication? You know, it's very important, yeah. obviously, to totally. think about that. And it's also important to really appreciate 
that circumstances really, really wear on people. It's a lot easier to feel fulfilled on day seven of a meditation retreat when everybody else there is taking care of your food, your lodging, you don't have access to your email and all the rest of that. It takes a lot more game to be able to maintain well-being when you're dealing with chronic pain, adverse circumstances, and let's say an internal biochemistry that is very vulnerable to depressed mood, right? People can do it. Mm. I know people who do it. There are people who are do it, who can do it, who are radiantly happy in spite of Vidya Mala Birch, for example, a person dealing with chronic pain that we've had on the yeah. podcast. Yeah. They're really grappling with it, but you just have to raise your game to be able to do that. So I thoroughly endorse what you're what you're saying here and really do want to underscore the central foundational importance of being able to be with your experience as it is, with that accepting presence as a major cornerstone factor of lasting well-being. Yeah, totally. Lasting fulfillment. So maybe inside of that, I kind of set you up a little, you know, a little, uh, you're my dad. Of course, I'm going to needle you from time to time. A little needling at the beginning of the episode. It's the target on the back, baby. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. It's what we're here for. Uh, it's, it's what the listeners are certainly here for. Um, as being like Mr. Perfect Fulfillment, which, you know, you're you're not. not yeah. Very few people are in terms of like perfect fulfillment. But like, you're a very fulfilled person. I think that that's true. Alongside that, though, I know that you've had moments in your life where you were not so thrilled about what was going on externally, where you didn't feel fulfilled. You've talked about many of them very openly on the podcast in the past. And so I just want to start by asking, as somebody who clearly has the capacity to be very fulfilled, what helped you in kind of dealing with those low moments when you were having them, maybe extracting yourself from it, or maybe what were just like some of the big practices or principles that you kind of leaned on. Yeah, and to be really clear about how it is, Mm. I know people who have made the upper reaches of fulfillment, let's say, a major goal. And what I see in them is that they definitely can have the clouds go by. They can definitely be moved by sorrow for the suffering of others. And you could see clouds of irritability going through them, clouds of, you know, some kind of reactivation from their childhood. But you really feel kind of through those clouds, around those clouds, there's just an underlying spaciousness, a vastness, a container of deep inner peace, acceptance of themselves, appreciation of living, and a and a kind of sense of being sort of one with everything. So it's all is what it is, right? And they're okay with it. So I think that's possible. And and honestly, I've made efforts to be moving in that direction myself. So that's that's kind of the larger thing we're talking about here. And I, I want to name that as a real possibility for people. And to be clear as well, that there can be irritation, there can be a predisposition toward melancholy or anxiety or even anger. I've known people who are deeply practiced and they have a choleric disposition, drawing on, you know, the kind of Greek notion of the four humors and so forth. They're cranky a fair amount of the time, but it kind of doesn't matter because that crankiness is just a particular kind of cloud or storm in the broader, you know, climate of who they are. So I want to just kind of name all that if I could. Now, a moment ago, you asked me, like, what do I do to deal with irritations and stuff like that? Yeah, dealing with low moments when they appear, particularly threats to fulfillment as opposed to the momentary clouds. What I've done has evolved. What I do has evolved over time. Um, There's what I do currently that might be useful for people. The first is to recognize, oh, I'm getting plugged in here. I'm getting triggered. I'm reactivated. Something is going on here. And just that alone, the naming of it, name it to tame it, as the saying has it, just that recognition alone is really, really valuable. Like I thought one of the great services you did in your video was you just named it and you normalized it Mm -hmm. and normalizing it. 
Yeah. Tara Brock has this phrase, this belongs. She often adds, sweetheart. Mm. <laughs> you can add that also to yourself. This belongs, <laughs> sweetheart. Talking to yourself, maybe sometimes to another person, but this belongs. Yeah. It's okay. It's here. It's all right. You know, that, that part's really important. Second, definitely something you said earlier about self-compassion. I gave a talk recently to my ongoing online meditation program, Be Loyal to You doesn't mean setting yourself above others, but it means being loyal to yourself like you might be to a someone who really matters to you. Be loyal to you. So you bring compassion to yourself. That's really important. Uh, then, you know, I've got a bag of tricks uh, that I've written a lot about. One of those great books with you, Resilient, you know, how you practice with stuff that comes up for you. One thing that I want to underline here, maybe related to a life of fulfillment, is that I think for a lot of people, what leads to a life in which they don't feel that fulfilled is bottled up contribution, which can become kind mm. of stagnant inside and fester and become rancid because it doesn't have a place to flow. There's not a place for them to give their love or a way for them to express their intelligence, their talents, their capabilities. Often those limitations on contribution are socially constructed. They're real. People just don't have certain kinds of opportunities. They're denied to them. And here they find themselves at age 50 based on doors that were closed to them, but open to others in their 20s or their teens or the first years of their life. And what do you do about that? I'm going to fully acknowledge that. That said, wherever we are, I think it's really important to paraphrase Nikosi Johnson, this kid born with HIV in South Africa, became an advocate for people born with AIDS there, um, died around age 12. He said, essentially, do all that you can with what you've been given in the place where you are in the time that you have. And I think for many of us, what has been true for me at many points in my own life is that we actually can do a little more. We actually can contribute a little more. We can be a little more helpful to the people around us that we live with. We could pick up a little trash. We can do a little more than 50% of, of the dishes. We can maybe ask other people to do their appropriate share of the dishes so that we can apply our contribution in other areas so that we're not so bogged down in playing out a script, a social role that's been handed to us that maybe we can actually be freer of. And you really might want to ask yourself, are there talents in you that are unused? Are there forms of expressing your love and your contribution that you've maybe felt you couldn't, but maybe now you can? Maybe you've internally bottled them up and today you can release them. So that it has been very, very important mm. for me. Uh, one of the main things that has really been like um, a hole in the bucket of fulfillment for me is ways mm. that I lost my nerve or didn't back my own play in expressing my contribution, whether it was being sweet and loving in simple ways with other people, whether it was serving in simple and concrete ways, or whether it was going for it in a bigger way. And I think that, you know, it's a, it's a good wake-up call for all of us. You know, before you pass, is there something else you want to do in this life, large or small? You're already starting to get into, in your answer there, what tends to lead to fulfillment mm. in people's lives. And that's definitely something that I want to kind of spend the last part of our conversation today talking about. To just put a quick pin in um, the earlier question around how to kind of get out of a feeling less fulfilled state to just speak personally in terms of my own process. Because I, I produced that video in large part because I was going through an authentic period where I wasn't feeling so so stoked about what was going on, uh, particularly in my work life broadly. And I was just had a lot of internal kind of thrashing around about, you know, is this really what I want to be doing? And all of these different kinds of, you know, natural questions that tend to come up when people are in their early 30s. I think it's pretty developmentally appropriate. Two things that tend to help, help me a lot. One you've already said, a, avoiding excessive comparison. Understanding that most of the time when people are presenting something for public consumption, it is inherently edited. We 
aspire to a really high level of authenticity on this podcast. And we are, in general, very open about our personal process, our own struggles, and all of that. And, and I do think that we we tend to get a lot of realness out of our guests as well. That's just my opinion. But I, but I think we authentically do. And at the same time, you know, we don't share everything. I don't share every aspect of what's going on in my life, and you don't share every aspect of what's going on in yours, and nor should we. That wouldn't necessarily be appropriate. But even the bar that we're clearing is, I think, probably unusually high. And I, I don't say that to, like, toot our own horn. I just say that to say, hey, you know, stuff that's out in the world is inherently edited, and, like, that's you know, we can talk about whether or not that's a good or bad thing, but it is a thing. So it's an important for us to relate to it that way. And then the second part, which I've also already said, is understanding that different people are different. And if you aren't fulfilled in a moment and you see somebody else that is, that doesn't necessarily mean that you're deeply flawed. It could mean that there are a lot of things going on in your life that are more challenging than what that person's going through. Maybe you've been dealt a more complicated hand to play than that other person has. Um, Like I was saying earlier, maybe you're just kind of a lower serotonin person. Maybe you're somebody who has a little bit of dysthymia. Maybe you struggle with with PMDD or, you know, one of the other things that can make it really hard to access fulfillment, even if you've done a lot of real work in your life to kind of raise the floor and improve the overall climate. When the clouds come through, they come through really hard. And even though you've put in that effort, you know, there are just going to be days where the bottom falls out. And that's where it starts to become about self-compassion and all those things that that we were kind of naming earlier in the conversation. So, okay, so a moment ago, you were talking about essentially manifesting something that's deep in your heart, you know, giving your full contribution, leaving something behind. To kind of put it in a, a word or a phrase, you're sort of talking about self-actualization as one of the things that tends to lead people toward fulfillment. Something for me that tends to be helpful or something that I feel like in the literature on psychology tends to support people is this idea of immortality. Of course, nobody becomes immortal, just like feeling like you're leaving something behind, which feels kind of attached to what you were talking about earlier. That's really interesting. I I had this experience. I was reading a volume of Will and Ariel Durant's History of Western Civilization, and you would read about these people who were incredibly important. You know, they ran Belgium or something. <laughs> Never heard of them. Nobody ever heard of them. They had an incredible life. They did all kinds of yeah, good stuff. Totally. They were really mm-hmm. good people. Never heard of them. Whoosh. And when you think of all the details of this and that that they did, the treaties they struck with the Austrian Empire, or the incredibly important you know policy distinction they made around Protestantism, whatever, religious freedom— it's just been lost in the chop of history, right? Did it really matter? A hurricane, a hurricane comes through the Atlantic Ocean. It's, you know, a month later, is the Atlantic Ocean any different, really? You know, it's just the ocean still. So hmm. there is that piece of it, right? And how do you relate to that? It's, it's a very deep question. Uh, why not jump off a bridge? you know, facing existential <laughs> meaninglessness and despair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're 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 making the case for existential dread. Yeah. Now, I don't want anybody <laughs> to jump off the bridge because I have an answer here. And for me, I've asked myself, why keep on living? You know, I had a moment there in my um, mid-20s when I was really asking myself that question, right? Why? Why? And if life contains suffering, it's not that life is suffering. If it contains suffering, why keep going on? For me, the answer falls into three categories. You know, the whys tend to have one of these three forms. First, I'll call it quality of life values. You want to keep on going because you're looking forward to the next good meal. You are feeling okay in your body. You're not living with overwhelming, terrible pain. You enjoy being with other people. You are interested in the book that you're reading. You're puttering in the garden. You know, you like the taste of French fries with uh, ketchup on them. Quality of life values. That's good enough to keep on going. Second, service purposes. So even if there's no quality of life there, even if it's not pleasurable, you're tired, you're exhausted, you feel like you're contributing. And contribution is enough of a reason 
So you're fulfilled. You feel fulfilled in life, in part due to quality of life, second, due to service, and third, really important, learning. Even if there's not a quality of life pleasure in the mix, and even if you're not particularly contributing to anybody else, you can be learning things, including that learning which we might put in the spiritual territory or the broad process of awakening. And any one of those three purposes is fulfilling and reason enough to keep on going. And to have a life in which you're ticking all three of those boxes, then you're, you've got a pretty sturdy basis for fulfillment. So I invite people to really kind of do an inventory, just kind of looking at your life. Are there ways that you could increase the quality of your own life given the real constraints, societal, imposed, and all the rest of it, you know, that would make your day a little bit better. Often there's a little thing, you know, put a little more curry in your eggs. <laughs> My family laughs at me. I put curry in everything. Uh, you know, <laughs> maybe it's okay to just kind of take care of this thing that's been bugging you forever about this loose corner in the carpet or the fact that there's some little thing that needs a little touch-up of paint. You know, that's okay, right? Quality of life. Also service. Is there, can you be more aware of the ways you're actually already contributing to others? And are there things that you could do that would bring value to others, bring a smile to others? You know, uh, an encouraging touch, a little back rub, deeper listening, just listening to other people is a service that we can offer them. And know that when you go to bed, hey, I gave it. I gave it my all today. That too. And then last, learning. Are you learning a little every day? Are you curious? Are you open to new information? Is there some kind of interesting area that you want to know a little more about? You know, the Mars rover. I'm learning about a K-pop band uh, that's actually amazingly famous and doing wonderful things for mental health worldwide. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, do you feel alive still, kind of in your mind that you're learning? Are you growing a little? Are you maybe, if it's of interest to you, are you softening the edges? Are you becoming a little more one with everything every single day? So anyway, mm -hmm. those are three areas where I think people can find sources of fulfillment and it can give you a little bit of a self-appraisal and a kind of focus if you want to help yourself feel more fulfilled in this life. Yeah, I, I think that's a lovely outline of a whole bunch of territory here. To maybe add one more small thing before you wrap up, in terms of that idea of leaving something behind. Of course, big picture, you know, the heat death of the universe is rapidly approaching to us all, um, and we can engage with that however we want to. Not only are our lives a sliver of a sliver of time, but the Earth itself is a sliver of a sliver of time. And that's that's the reality of things. But my feeling on this is that much of the time, our influence is local. Almost all of the time, for the vast majority of people who have ever lived or will ever live. And my experience is that you know, we, we talk sometimes about Eric Erickson and developmental stages and things like that. And one of the key developmental stages that he has is a little bit further on. Um, I think that it's the generativity stagnation mm -hmm. one. It's like That's 40 right. to 65 years old. And he talks about leaving something behind. And of course, all things that are left behind crumble to dust. But I don't think that we think about it that way while it's happening. Right, exactly. You know, and for me, it's not like an abstract idea. It's actually an incredibly concrete one where it, it's not about something perpetuating forever. It's about feeling like we cast a rock that skipped on the top of the pond a few more times and the ripples of it were felt for a little while. Yeah. You know, you're helping a younger person. You're having a kid. You are contributing something to the broader body of knowledge that, you know, sure, will continue after you're gone, but maybe you changed it in some small way. Um, and the ripples of that are then felt and felt, even if your own individual identity fades to dust, probably a lot sooner than we would like it to as egocentric individuals. And I think that that's a remarkably powerful way to access a little bit more fulfillment. I think that's true. And I guess I there's a reason why I pushed back slightly or kind of diverged a little, because maybe I think deep down, I have a kind of tragic sentiment in a way, even though I'm Dr. Positivity. Mm. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, do, I do think that in the broader scale of the universe, we live like a lightning bug, just just a yeah, brief, totally. brief flash in a mediocre planet twirling around a mediocre sun in a middling galaxy amidst a trillion or two trillion others. Very, very briefly, right? And I guess I'm just kind of bone deep in being really honest with myself about that on the one hand. Yeah, sure, totally. Well, on the other hand, really appreciating that our efforts in this life, including those those people back in the 13 and 1400s, our actions really do ripple out in ways known and unknown, seen and unseen, you know, in ways that even, you know, live beyond us. I, I certainly respect that. But I think so much of the reason for doing what we do, the, ver the good reasons for doing what we do are in the present. They're in the present. And yeah, totally. Yeah. So for me, it, it does go to appreciating that even if you're not going to be one of those people like Newton or Einstein, or Attila the Hun, because you can have a lot of impact for good or bad either way, right? If you're not going to be one of those people, you can still find a lot of meaning and a lot of fulfillment in nourishing your own quality of life and service and learning every day. And knowing that when you go to bed at the end of the day, okay, all right, you know, good on you, good on you. I really appreciate your focus on the here and now, and I do think that that is such just a huge part of what leads people to some kind of reliable sense of fulfillment. It's almost just like throwing it up to all the other stuff sometimes, a legacy, what we leave behind, whatever, and just really focusing on what we can actually do in our day-to-day -day lives to improve our well-being and to improve our own overall sense of happiness, wellness, health, fulfillment in our relationships, however we want to talk about it. And I'm sure that we could continue to talk about these very big picture topics, you know, uh, what does it mean to be fulfilled? And does any of this mean anything anyway, you know, endlessly. But I think that this is as good a place as any to end today's conversation. So today we talked about fulfillment. Our conversation today was based in part on a video that I created and posted to my YouTube channel a little while ago. If you're interested in watching the video, you can access it through the link that I've included in the description of today's episode. And we really explored this topic by looking at two different kinds of challenges or two different kinds of pitfalls that people have around fulfillment. And the first one is the one that comes from our sort of good vibes only toxic positivity culture, where it's really easy to fall into a kind of place where we just expect to be fulfilled all the time. And if we're not, it means that there must be something wrong with us. And that struggle becomes a very private one. It becomes a secret struggle because people aren't necessarily comfortable sharing those more vulnerable parts of themselves in a public way. And what we tend to see out in the world, the stuff that gets publicized, is normally pretty curated. People tend to share the highlight reel of their life, which you naturally compare to the fullness of yours. And so one of the things that's been really useful for me personally it's just getting real about the reality that there are going to be times where I'm just not perfectly fulfilled. And that's really okay. Then alongside that, there was basically the argument that Rick was making and made to me in a previous conversation, where he basically said that, uh, to paraphrase, we can get trapped in the tyranny of low expectations. You know, you aim for a tree, maybe you land on the grass, but if you aim for the moon, you might land on a tree. And we don't want to lower the ceiling of what we believe is authentically possible in this lifetime. And he spoke really eloquently, and I even gave a very personal example related to my partner who had her eyes opened through a conversation with Rick, actually, to the possibility of something that she hadn't really considered seriously before that. And that created this whole new set of positive outcomes in her life. So we want to be careful that we don't fall into that tyranny of low expectations and that somebody like me, who's maybe a little bit more on the dysthymic side, uh, just a little bit more lower serotonin, I, I kind of tend toward a you know, a vague sense of moroseness from time to time, a little low fulfillment from a from a genetic standpoint, maybe, who knows? I don't want to look at that whole suite of factors and say, you know what? 
I'm just never going to be fulfilled because that's going to lead to some pretty negative outcomes in my life. Alongside that broader context, we talked about the nature of fulfillment, which I think Rick really beautifully described as being kind of like the climate rather than the weather. Things happen on a day-to-day basis. That's the weather. And some of those things suck. But if we improve the climate overall, our kind of resting state of fulfillment, the clouds that come along, you know, they don't bug us so much. The weather doesn't hurt us for as long a period of time. And that improvement of the climate, the underlying state of fulfillment, well-being, and happiness, is something that both Rick and I believe is truly possible for the overwhelming majority of people. We then talked for a little while about how to extract ourselves from times where we're not feeling fulfilled, when we really are feeling pretty low. Two of the things that really have helped me in the past are, for starters, avoiding excessive comparison, and then also recognizing the ways in which different people truly are different, which then gives us access to a new level of self-compassion for our own struggles. Around this time, Rick spoke about what he felt was truly possible in this lifetime, how people, most of them at least, could truly improve their overall fulfillment resting state with some concerted effort, and just something that he's spoken about on the podcast in the past, where a lot of the time, man, people might say that they want something, but are they willing to expend the effort truly on a day-to-day basis to get the thing that they claim to want? And if they really want it, and if they really expend that effort, most of the time, people can, at the very least, better their circumstances. We then close the conversation by talking about what tends to lead to fulfillment for most people. And Rick really located a lot of his answer in the present moment. What can we do on a day-to-day basis in little ways, accepting that, you know, it all crumbles to dust eventually to improve our own experience of this one precious life? Whereas I, you know, some classic contrast— leaned into some developmental psychology and the broader literature on psychology, and talked a bit about the ways in which it can be really important and meaningful to people for them to feel like they leave something behind. You know, maybe it doesn't leave a lasting impact on the world, very little does, but it affects somebody in a positive way. It creates a ripple that might then affect other ripples, leaving some residue of themselves behind. So that's it for today's episode focused on fulfillment. If you've been enjoying the podcast, we'd really appreciate it. If you would subscribe to it through the platform of your choice, maybe leave a rating and a positive review. And if you're listening to this episode and you're realizing you'd prefer to be watching it instead, I upload pretty much all of our episodes that we're producing these days to my YouTube channel, which you can find in the description of today's podcast. If you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple cups of coffee a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a variety of bonuses in return. So that's it for today's episode. Until next time, thank you again, truly, for supporting the podcast. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.